Hi, this is State of Mind with me, Richard Sefton. This is a podcast about talking, um, talking to a friend, having a deep and meaningful conversation, having a chat with the neighbour, talking to your pets, talking to yourself. My ethos is that it doesn't really matter. Just talk. If you've got something to say or if you can lend an ear, then get involved. I think it's the best way to help improve our mental health, making sure that what's inside is brought to the outside so we can view it in a different way we can look at it differently and we can work on maybe improving those little things that are going on for us that have sat deep in our brains eating away at us i have on my sofa today an actor a singer funny girl and a number one selling author a lady who has struggled immensely with her mental health over the years but she is someone that i'm pleased to say i've known for about 10 years now and have some amazing memories with so without further ado, welcome Victoria Knowles. How are you? Hi, thank you. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Ten years? I can't believe it's been ten years. It My mouth just fell open when you said that. It might be longer, you know, but when all those memories come up on Facebook, it's always about ten, ten years I know. ago or something like it's, that. It's, it's scary, isn't it, really? But it was an amazing time. It was. An amazing time back then, in the midst of time, before the Olympics. Bef- before Covid, yes. Yeah, before BC. Lockdown. Yeah. BC, yeah, 10 years BC. So yeah, um, ten, and thank you very much. Funny girl, I like that. Thank you. You are a funny girl. Oh my God, you've Aww. had me laughing over the years. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, we'll get into that later. Um, oh, we you're will. You're a number one best-selling uh, um, author. I am, you're apparently. Best- yeah, yeah you are. And your best-selling book, A PA Story, it's passionate, sometimes highly emotive memoir about your time working in the City of London. Yeah. What gave you the idea to put it down on paper? Oh, blimey. Um, in a nutshell, uh, I found a really lovely boss, uh, what I would describe as a normal boss, somebody who had respect for me, who listened to what I had to say, um, and was just very kind to me and never shouted at me unnecessarily or screamed in my face or tried to play mind games with me. Um, I, yeah, I basically had sort of a three, bad bosses all for different kind of reasons but all really in the sort of bullying uh genre i would say um but it wasn't just that you have a yeah everyone has a bad boss every now and again or a grumpy boss but i just i got to the point where i'd had three bosses one after the other and each time i was like i've got to get out this is awful and i would go to the next job and then it would happen again but in a in a different way in a, in a worse way and it got to the point on the third boss where i was literally at the point of having a nervous breakdown and i actually had to walk out um i can remember i just left one evening from a particular job and i was like right goodbye see you tomorrow and my bottom lip was quivering and i just knew i was never going back because i couldn't and i burst out crying phoned my mum went to a pub bought the biggest glass of wine uh, and just sobbed down the phone to my mum and for the first time ever my mum said you just can't go back your mental health is suffering you can't you need to get yourself better mm-hmm. um and it was only after i'd started temping um because obviously i i couldn't just not work i had to pay the bills yeah. and it was when i was my first temp job and i hadn't temped in over like a decade and I started temping because I didn't want the pressure of signing on the dotted line of a permanent job. Uh, because once you've done that, you're kind of trapped in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with temping, it doesn't matter if you leave after a week. No one really looks at your CV and wonders why. Um, and my first temp job was working for a chap who was just absolutely lovely. And it was almost as if I'd been in some deep freeze of pain and anguish. 
and I started to thaw out suddenly working for this guy. And for the first time in years, I didn't worry at night. I slept soundly. I wasn't relying on red wine to try and get me to sleep, to drown out the pain of working in these horrible environments. Um, and it was only when I was sort of completely normal in my own mind that I thought, you know what, this, this cannot just happen you know, just to me or the odd person, I'm pretty sure there will be lots of people, whether male or female, who get bullied in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I figured I would just start writing it all down before I forgot it all. And my one, I remember lying in bed one evening and I just thought, if, if any good is going to come from everything I've just been through, if I could just help one person, if I could write something down, maybe write a book, and if somebody read that and realised that they too were going through the similar, you know, the same thing or similar things that I was, mm. if that could give them the courage to walk away from their job or their bad boss, then I would be happy. So that's what sort of inspired me to start writing. But then, you know, with something like this, it's so cathartic, and it helped me immensely just writing it all out. I think. You know, most people who realise I've written a book, they're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, so many people have got a book in their heads, but they never, ever do it because it really is a hard process to write a book. But when it's something that's happened to you and you've lived it and you're passionate about, um, or at least passionate about it not happening again, um, it just flows out of you. So that's how I started writing. And once I started, couldn't stop. <laughs> I wish I had so, that problem. Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, it depends what your book is, though. I mean, is it sort of... I think we've spoken about this before, though, haven't we? I'm sure you've said. In yeah. fact, I'm sure you asked me to write your I book. Did. <laughs> I did, because I'm Which lazy. I'd be happy to. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Um, so let's go right far back in time. Yeah. How did you find yourself in the city in the first place? So I had always from a young age wanted to perform to sing to act to whatever i can remember my mum said i used to sort of dance in front of the television with the old laundry basket thing on my head and you know dancing that was my hat and uh i my i can have i have an early memory of when i was about seven i think and it was one of those you know you're in the car or wherever you are and my mum said oh what do you want to do when you grow up and i remember feeling slightly sort of embarrassed about what i wanted to say but and I didn't quite know what she was, but I said, oh, what, what does that, act, what does that, I didn't say actress, obviously, because I didn't know, but I said, what, what's that person, that Julie Andrews, what's she? And my mum said, oh, she's an actor. And of course, she's an amazing singer as well. But um, I must have seen some Julie Andrews films. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. That seems like a lot of fun. And my mum said, yeah, you get paid for doing that. So that was it, stuck in my head. I want to act. And then at school, uh, I was rather good at drama, they told me. So it, I just got it in my head that that's what I wanted to do. And I followed that path. I sort of did GCSE drama. I got into a college uh, specifically for studying theatre studies. Uh, so I did English theatre studies. And from there, where did I go to? Ah, I was really naughty. I was lazy, though. <laughs> I was very lazy. Um, and half Because it was around the time you're 16, you know, you, you're discovering life and boys and having fun and drinking. I shouldn't really say that. I was 16, but, you know, a lot of people do it. Um, <laughs> and smoking fags and trying to look cool. And um, 
so yeah I didn't really go to a lot of my lessons and I remember that all the sort of college tutors said oh you know you're wasting your talents you're very good but you're not going to get much more than an E or an F in your grades and I actually managed to pull it out of the bag at the last minute and I actually got two B's wow so but it meant that I'd already applied to a college to do an HND rather than a degree uh, but actually, do you know what? It was, I think when it comes to acting, you don't really do degrees in acting, do you? So a higher national diploma was better for me. And that's what I ended up doing. I went to Stratford-upon-Avon College and uh, I had the most amazing two years uh, just acting. We got complimentary tickets to the Royal Shakespeare Theatre and the Swan Theatre and I hobnobbed with a few famous actors, you know, around the back of the, the stage door. It was just an amazing time. Hobnobbed. <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even know what hobnobbing means well, anymore. I think it's just, you know, chatting away with people at the you know, stage door. And oh, it was great. And I ended up, I remember I went to an evening in Stratford-upon-Avon, um, an evening, it was called an auction of promises. And it's where loads of famous actors uh, auction off for charity things that they'll do for you or you know tickets for this or tickets for that and I ended up winning <laughs> it was the winning bid I was a student for goodness sake and I had to wait until lot 51 <laughs> because that meant no one else could have any money left to spend so I got the grand total of 71 pounds me and my friend Joe we um we won dinner with Toby Stevens who is actually the son of uh, our dame Maggie Smith wow I know so we had dinner with him and uh, a lovely actor called Stella Gonet, um, who at the time was in the House of Elliot. Do you remember you can get that a cream show? For that, though. You can get a queen for that, Stella Gonet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I, <laughs> I thought you said a queen. Cream. You can get a cream for I, Stella Gonet. I do Gonet, remember yes. the House of Elliot. I loved the House of Elliot. Yeah, so she was the blonde curly one. So she I was absolutely there. absolutely loved the House of Elliot. Yeah. It was an amazing evening. So, yeah, there you go. That's by the by. But I had a great time and it, that was it. I just thought my life was set. I'm clearly going to act and be discovered. But I felt there was one more sort of step to go. And uh, that was really drama school. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I don't know if you know, but, you know, it is pretty difficult to get into drama school. You know, you're up against pretty much thousands of people uh, every year for sort of uh, a small amount of places. And I auditioned for uh, the Guildford School of Acting, mm -hmm. uh, which is primarily for sort of musical theatre, but, you know, still really good to train there. Um, and I auditioned and I got a place on the three-year acting course. Uh, but that's when it kind of went a bit wrong for me in my life. Um, and it's because I got a place, but the fees, uh, I think then, I don't know, I think it's about £7,000 a year. Wow. And I had no idea. I thought that you had to have all of the money up front. So like £21,000. And I was like, I don't have 21 grand. And my mum doesn't have 21 grand. And I didn't know anybody who was rich. And I, we just didn't have that kind of money. Um, but my local council, God bless them, how kind. Uh, shall I say who they are? Local to where you were at the time? Uh, yes. Yeah, of course. So it was Wigan Borough Council. And I can't tell you how lovely they were. They had, I don't even think it's a thing anymore, but they had something called discretionary grants or discretionary awards. Mm. So I applied to them and they said, oh, come and audition for us because we can help with the fees. So I auditioned for them and they said, we can see you're talented. We 
we can see your passion. We think you're really good. We're going to give you £4,000 per year towards your fees. So I was like, amazing. Oh, I know, amazing. But again, I was only, how old was I, 19 or 20? And I had no guidance from anyone. I didn't know, you know, how to make that work for me. But all I could see was the black and white of it. And I thought, well, that's lovely, but where do I get the rest of the money? Mm. And I ended up speaking to Guildford and I said, oh, oh, you know, I've been offered this, but I can't get that. And therefore, I think I'm going to have to give up my place. And they just went, OK, then. So sorry oh. about that. And I, I, that really was like, I look back on it now and I... I mean, I can't blame them, but at the same time, I just wish someone had guided me and said, well, you don't need all the money up front. Yeah. Because it's a very long story, this, Richard. I'm so sorry. Very long story. Basically, I got in, obviously couldn't afford it, gave my place up, then spent the next year back up in the north, having lived away, you know, having a lovely time in Stratford-upon-Avon. And I suddenly became really depressed and I didn't know it because for the first time in my life, I was, I had nowhere to go mm. in my mind. I only ever wanted to act and that was my dream. And I followed all the, you know, the educational path that I was meant to follow to get yeah. to where I wanted to get to. And suddenly I'm back living at my mum's. I have no other qualifications to fall back on. Um, and I ended up getting temp jobs up there and I was just depressed. You know, I just didn't know what to do. And I can't remember what came first, but I definitely suffered. And for the first time, uh, where did I go? I went on a weekend with my mum. My grandma couldn't make it. And I ended up going to Bruges on a coach full of old people for a weekend, <laughs> which might be nice for some people and i'm quite sure i'd like it these days at my age but back then i was like oh i'm just doing it as a favor you know just sitting next to my mum because she's got no one to go with <laughs> but i was ill i got really ill i got an ear infection oh and i didn't know it but it sent me crazy i i think it was a mixture of depression sneaking in mm -hmm. and i started to get something called depersonalization which is where and it all was feeding in from this depression. I didn't know where I was anymore in life. I just didn't know where I was going or where I was meant to go next. Mm. And I can remember being in a, a, one of these hypermarkets in Calais and I just lost the plot. I just was, I was in tears. My mum had to sit me down. I just, it was as if someone had just put a, a sheet of glass in front of my face and muffled my sounds. And I just, I, I've since looked back on all the, when this happened and I think when that happens, when depersonalization happens, it's because normally when you're feeling happy and well, you've got sort of an inner dialogue happening in, in your head, haven't you? Yeah. Whether it's, oh, you know, I've got to put the kettle on, oh, I've got to go and pick up the kids, or I've got to do this, oh, I haven't done that, oh, damn, I haven't paid that bill. And I think when you're that depressed because you've got nothing going on in your life, your inner dialogue is silent. So mm -hmm. everything else all the other audio sounds, and especially in a hypermarket in Calais, these audio sounds of everybody talking, it just suddenly amplified in my head. And I literally thought I was going mad. I genuinely panicked and I just thought, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I was in tears. We went back to England. I was checked by a doctor. They said, actually, you've got an ear infection. And so that kind of made me think, oh, great, it's that. I'm not going mad. 
but the ear infection cleared up and then of course nothing else did and i just yeah. went downhill really downhill had you had the and, uh, before then no, never, 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 never. I'd had your average, you know, you know, oh, I'm feeling a bit oh, today, you know, yeah. Kevin and Perry. But this was full on and it went worse. I can remember being in my bedroom at my mum's house and she was out one evening at dinner with uh, her friend. And for the first time, I thought this isn't right because nothing entertained me. I put the television on. I didn't want to watch it. All my friends were at university as well because, of course, I'd gone off at the same time they had. Mm -hmm. Or I was meant to, sorry. And of course, I couldn't go. I couldn't go. My my university would have been, you know, my drama school. Yeah. So they were at uni. I would have been at drama school. And of course, I was back up north then. And my mates weren't around. So I was just stuck at my mum's, not knowing what to do with myself. And I was in tears, crying. And then I got scared. I got scared of life. I got scared of wanting to go out. Uh, I was smoking fags like there was, you know, they were going out of business. And that's all I did. I sat and looked out my mum's, my old bedroom out the window smoking and just wondering where life was going to take me. And I was only 20 or 21 at this time. Yeah. Um, and I ended up going to the doctors. And I think because I'd had an ear infection, I became focused on that because I didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. But I knew I felt weird. So I was focusing on that and going, I, w I went back to the doctor time and again, and I said, I don't think I'm right. I, I'm, you know, this is, I don't feel normal. I don't feel, and I think it affected me physically. So the depression made me feel as it can sort of dizzy, just really dizzy, you know, like I was yeah. sort of seasick, you know, I just didn't feel part of the earth or part of normal society. And I think eventually the doctor I mean, to be honest, she wasn't that helpful. She was kind of helpful to a point. And by the time I came back for the fifth time, she said, well, you don't want to go on antidepressants, do you? As if it was a bad thing. Would this have been the early 2000s, late 90s? Uh, well, so part of my story about the drama school is I do eventually go. And that I went in 1998. So this must have been 97. Yeah, so, so, so before... Well, even now, mental health isn't talked about enough. But oh, but this was then. a deep, yeah. But this was a GP talking to yeah. me, and you know, she made me feel so embarrassed almost to be back in her surgery. But I clearly wasn't right, mm -hmm. and it wasn't the fact because I kept saying, "Can you please check my ears again? Can you check my ears again?" <laughs> because I fixated on that because I almost felt like I suppose I could see the yeah. correlation there. Yeah. And I was like, but she said, no, you don't understand. Your ears are fine. They've cleared up. There isn't an infection. And she even said to me at one point, she said, you know, you just need to go and go for a walk, go for a walk, go to the Lake District. That'll make you better. And I was like, and then she said, oh, you don't want to take antidepressants as if to say, oh, you don't want to take antidepressants. No, 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 no. Hmm. But the very fact that she'd mentioned them made me think, oh, wow. Okay. What is going wrong with me? Yeah. Um, and she sort of shamed me. She she made me feel ashamed that because of my age that I shouldn't be going through this, that it's not normal. So I remember going home, but again, I was in tears all of that weekend. And then I made another appointment and I saw a different GP and I cannot tell you what a difference it makes to have somebody who is just understands. Yeah. And he was so lovely. And he said, I, and I explained this weird sensation that I'd been getting. And he said, you're suffering from something called depersonalization. Mm -hmm. And it's when one or other of your senses is out slightly and you overcompensate and it 
just doesn't feel right. The world doesn't feel right. And he said, and you're also probably suffering from some kind of depression because, you know, you've told me you were about to go here. You thought your dream was going to come true and now you're here and you don't know where you're going in your life. And he said, look, I do think that if you want to, you can go on to a course of uh, an antidepressant. And yeah, th there was kind of some stigma attached, but I think I was young enough to think, ah, I know it sounds stupid, but I almost wanted to be different and say to my friends, yeah, look at me, I'm on antidepressants, weirdly. I don't know why I would have thought that. But no, I, uh, I think I get that. I think I can it, it, understand it, that. I, I I almost felt like I was slightly grown up because I would never in a million years have imagined me having to take something that I'd heard about because I think Prozac Nation was out by then, you know, and uh, I'd heard about antidepressants. Anyway, I was in such a state, I just thought, well, yeah, let's let's do it. So I, I went on to, at the time, it was called Lustral, uh, which I think originally was, I think I was on Sertraline. Uh, so yeah, sertraline hydrochloride, which is lustral. Well, it's, that's the generic name and lustral was the brand. Yeah. And it really helped me. And at the time it was sort of, you know, a, uh, six month, be on them six months and see how you are. And I actually did come off them after six months and I didn't have any issues coming off them at that age. And I was fine and happy. Mm -hmm. Um, and back to my original drama school story. <laughs> I then was well enough to start thinking about what I would do next in my life. And that's when I started doing television extra work. Um, and I met a director. So I ended up doing Hollyoaks a lot. I was always the drunk person in the pub, in the background. Well, that's how I know you. <laughs> Were you there too? <laughs> um, so that was drunk person in the background. Oh, absolutely. Uh, sometimes in the foreground, of course, but uh, in TV, uh, extra work, I was in the background. And wow, did I have fun. It was brilliant. What a giggle. I ended up doing Hollyoaks loads, Brookside loads, because Brookside was on at the time. And uh, yeah, oh, it's fantastic. What a giggle. Uh, so I did lots and lots and lots and I met a director and the director realized in one of those shots that he hadn't placed me on set. So I was kind of sitting there like a lemon and they were about to shoot and he went, oh, hang on. And he said, uh, sorry, yeah, I haven't placed you. And then he said, what's your name? And I thought, wow, I've been discovered. He's noticed me. And uh, it was really funny. We sort of got chatting afterwards and uh, he was like a to you know big to do director on Hollyoaks and Brookside and we got chatting and I said look I'm trained you know I've been to Stratford I got into Guildford but x y and z and he actually was the one that encouraged me and he said look I really think just go back to drama school but don't do a three-year course do a one-year course because it'll be cheaper but you'll still get the exposure etc etc and I don't know if they all do it, but Guildford do do a one year sort of postgraduate course. So with his encouragement, I actually applied and I got in to Guildford again. <laughs> so I finally went because you know what? I auditioned for Wigan Council again and they paid all of my fees. Really? Yes. <clears throat> How amazing are they? Well done, Wigan. Big shout out to Wigan Council because Wigan Council. you were the best, best, best. Uh, yeah, they said, we can see you're still passionate. We feel bad that you didn't get to do your other course, but here you go. So they paid seven and a half thousand pounds for me and off mm -hmm. I tottled. So I did a year at drama school from 98 to 99. So wow. that's where we're at so far. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I worked for Wigan Council when I first moved back up here. Oh, did she? That was a bit of a schlep, but it was... Um, uh, oh, God, it would have been, yeah, for I you travelling there. quite well, though. Oh, pies. <laughs> so back to my I never ate question, pies. How did you end up in the city? <laughs> exactly. God, it's a long time getting to this answer, isn't it? Um... <laughs> it's fine. I've enjoyed the story so far. Okay, so nutshell. Let's nutshell it out. So I go to drama school for a year from 98 to 99. Yeah, don't nutshell I grad- it. I'm enjoying the story. Ah, well, I graduated in 1999. Now, I would say that the problem with one-year courses at drama school, and drama schools will hate me for this, but you just don't get the same amount of exposure at the end of your training or the opportunities as if you had done a three-year course. Um. And I, I kind of was aware of this, and I'm, I'm kind of not surprised. I think that, you know... At the end of your training at drama school, you all do something called a showcase. Yeah. And so the showcase is where, well, you can imagine you're showcasing the talents of those graduating students and a load of casting directors and agents come along and they watch your various monologues and duologues and showpieces. And then they rush to you at the end of the night and they go, oh, I have to sign you. You're so talented. But you get tons of those kind of people attending three-year graduation shows you get i think probably half of those people attending if it's a one-year graduation so your chances are limited and i think also again i'm not speaking for all drama schools this is just my experience but in a three-year course i get the impression that in year one they break you down they Mm. try and get you to forget everything you've ever known so any natural instinct was taken away then they sort of teach you all the technical stuff and all the breathing and all of this and then the third year they build you back up again as this wonderful amazingly talented super duper individual and of course with a one-year course you just can't do it and i ended up feeling like i'd been broken down at drama school but never been put back together so instead of doing any of my I think I'm naturally, God, this sounds big-headed. I think I'm naturally quite talented. I can do accents. I can get myself into, you know, uh, characters and be this person. But my breathing apparently was awful. You know, I'd be being told that your veins are sticking up on your neck and you, you know, your breathing's not right. And I'd be thinking, but in the middle of an argument, really, you wouldn't be thinking about your veins in your neck sticking up. <laughs> but I ended up just coming out of there thinking, God, I'm rubbish. I can't act. So my confidence was really low and uh, I didn't get an agent. Barely anyone came to see our show. And so suddenly I'm in London because most people move to London because they think that's it. Bright lights, big city. You know, this is where I'm meant to be. And instead, I found myself in London sleeping on a friend's floor for two weeks. Uh, I got a job at a telesales uh, call centre earning the grand amount of five pounds an hour. Mm. and i know and that barely covered my rent and then whatever i had left i just go and get drunk in the pub on a friday and that was it that's all i ended up doing and i think the problem is it's hard enough if you've got an agent and you want to act you've still got to push yourself even though you've got an agent doing stuff on your behalf Mm -hmm. if you've no agent you've really got to be on it if you want to be discovered You've got to put the work in. You've got to apply for this. You've got to send your headshot out. You've got to get your CV updated. You've got to get this, that, and the other. And I just, A, didn't have the time. And clearly, I was too lazy to do it. And I kidded myself that life was fun and I enjoyed doing whatever I was doing. And actually, I was just 
bumming about, you know. I wasn't really doing anything and I was temping still. And it was then that I decided that if I wasn't going to act or at least do all the things that I think you are required to do in order to be discovered, then I at least wanted to earn money and have a good life. And with no official qualifications other than acting, because I'd been temping in sort of office roles, I thought, well, I'm going to try and get to the very pinnacle of an office career, which for me as a woman was being a PA, a personal assistant, because um, I knew it, you know, you got paid well. And um, yes, yeah, so... as a pinnacle as a woman. Oh, is the PA. oh, yeah. Yeah. In the world at the office with no. Yeah. I just thought, well, if it's admin, what's the what's the peak of admin? <laughs> um, so I thought, oh, it's PA. Yeah. I'll be a PA. I'll be a PA to someone famous. I'll be a PA to some, you know, super duper high flying boss. And um, yeah, so I think my first permanent job was working for a high end estate agents in Hampstead, which I don't know if you're aware, but in Hampstead, you know, lots of celebs live, huge houses. Yeah. So I was on reception. I wasn't quite the PA yet. I had to start on reception. <laughs> and uh but it was great. All these people came in. I remember Sally from Coronation Street came in looking for flats. Wow. Tom Conti, um, the lead singer of Travis. What was his name? Fran Healy. Fran Healy. <laughs> so I was thinking, yeah, I've made it. I'm receptionist and I'm seeing all these celebrities. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, you've not really made it. You're just serving these people. And uh, it's, you know, I was still only getting paid whatever I was getting paid. I think about £20,000 a year or something, which I suppose, you know, not that bad um, not in bad. those days. Yeah. However, I got I got headhunted by the, um, oh, who was it? It was the PR department of the estate agents and they got in touch with me and they said oh we're selling uh i think they were selling george michael's house actually and they said oh we need a uh, god rest his soul lovely old george yeah. and they said oh uh we need a, a jpeg of his uh his house or whatever a jpeg image and because i'd sent it to them and i think 2.2 seconds they got on the phone and said we've got a job you're so fast and efficient will you come and work for us wow and i thought is that all it takes okay fine so i did i went and, and then i joined the marketing department and i actually became the national advertising coordinator for this huge estate agent and i had no experience whatsoever wow but i was good on the phones and i was able to sort of put my acting skills to good use and sort of, you know, get down with certain people and I would be very, you know, hoity-toity with the others, you know, you can imagine, yeah. you know, you get all sorts of people, rich, famous celebrities, etc. So I was able to sort of mix with them and be appropriate on the telephone and rah, rah, rah. So I was there for about four years, but that is the period of my life when depression came back. Okay. So, Yeah. When you were riding uh, high. Well, but riding high, you see, that's the thing, riding high to anyone else, but actually secretly mm -hmm. in my heart, not doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And even then, I was always trying to do things on the side that were creative. So I actually started writing then and I started writing a sitcom. So I wrote a pilot um, and I ended up, Oh, I got introduced to somebody who worked in television, but it was the wrong kind of TV. It was sports television. 
but he was a really nice guy and he said I think you're really talented he said I think I'd like to try and get this off the ground so I was doing stuff on the side but I don't know the fact that I was just doing this job daily that sounds very exciting but actually was very formulaic you know I could do it with my eyes closed at the end of the day it was just pulling people's adverts together for selling their houses yeah. so you can imagine four years of that for somebody who is creative mm -hmm. it just killed my soul yeah. and so depression you know snuck back into my life and I ended up also getting labyrinthitis which I don't know if you know what that is. I do, but I can't yeah, put my finger so on it. I do know that. Inner, inner ear infection. That's the one. So I, I think I'd always had issues. Something similar. Yeah. And they thought it was that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, from the other story you heard, I had sort of had sort of ear infections and I'd had them when I was younger. I mean, not to the extent where I suffered daily, but there was obviously something that I was, you know, susceptible to. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so yeah, I had a really awful dizzy fit, like the whole room span like vertigo out of nowhere. I was with somebody at lunch one day and I went pale and I just, again, what the hell's happening? And that's what triggered the depression again, like major depression. Yeah. And I had to go back onto antidepressants at that stage. Um, and I think it's a thing. I, I remember looking up the, the sort of the help groups out there for people who suffer from labyrinthitis. Um, because it can affect you so much and it sends you so, you know, out of normalness yeah. that mm -hmm. you really struggle afterwards yeah. to rebuild your confidence because you get to the point where you're scared to walk down the street because you think you're going to fall over. You're that yeah, unsteady. I, I, yeah. No, my, my best friend's got um, something called Meniere's, which is, I think, very oh, close yeah. to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of those things are very debilitating and you can feel dreadful. And yeah, the, it says on any website that depression can follow labyrinthitis if you don't get the right support. And I did. So back on antidepressants, but I had a female boss where I was working and she was just, I, I think this was the start of me just having really hideous bosses. I mean, she was a different kettle of fish, but I can remember I sat opposite her in the office and I, I wrote to her uh, on email because <laughs> it was private. I didn't want to shout it across the office. And I said, oh, would you mind awfully if I have sort of next Tuesday off? I've got a doctor's appointment. And she just put her head across the desk and she went, why? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You know, what are you going to the doctors for? And it was just, oh, my God. So on her, and I, I sort of said, well, because um, you're not going on antidepressants, are you? Oh. And again. She okay. was shouting out in front of the whole department as if to say, don't be an idiot. Why are you going on antidepressants? Don't do that. Don't go down that route. Oh, no. Uh, it was just unreal. Yeah. It was just hideous. And uh, yeah, horrible lady. And I ended up going to the doctors and I did go on to antidepressants. And they, yeah, they helped me greatly. But this was, uh, I went on to Prozac this time. Hmm. So uh, the famous Prozac, fluoxetine. And I stayed on that for a very long time. And the only next time I sort of tried to come off them, um, I, I, I lost the plot because the withdrawal was so bad that I ended up staying on them. Um, but that's another story, the whole withdrawal thing with antidepressants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so where are we at, Richard? Where are we at? 
you're in your job. Which part, of my, which part of my story? So yeah, I basically finished working there and then I got my first job as a PA, um, as a personal assistant. And, was that and I learned Hampstead? on the job. Uh, no, so I'd moved from Hampstead and then I moved to, I wanted uh, the West End. I was near to Selfridges when I was working for the estate agency, the marketing department. Okay. Yeah. Then I got a job, where was I? Bloomsbury. Mm -hmm. So I ended up working for somebody, first PA role, and uh, learnt on the job. And wow, did I learn. He was an amazing man. He was so well connected. I mean, worked for royalty, uh, you know, an amazing chap, brilliant at his job, and wasn't actively working, but he was on the, you know, when people sort of retire, but then they're on the board of all of these amazing sort of uh, institutions and whatever. Mm. So one of his roles was he worked on a, a member of the royal family's uh, company, and um, he was just very well regarded. And I ended up being his PA and I stayed with him for about four years. And it was tough to an extent, but I wouldn't ever class him as a bad boss. He wasn't a bully. He just was, you know, to the point firm, but also very fair as well. Um, but I sort of, uh, again, after four years, I just thought, well, I'm not learning anything else. And I really wanted something new, a new challenge. And I ended up, um, do you know, I actually got a job working for, am I allowed to say names of people or not really? Yeah, of course <laughs> you are. Go for it. I actually ended up getting uh, down to the last two for a job, if not being offered the job, I can't remember, but the lady who used to run the Serpentine Gallery. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, well, I can't. Well, I, can't. <laughs> <laughs> I said it now. Too late. It's fine. <laughs> but nothing bad about her. <laughs> Oh, okay, Fantastic. It. <laughs> it would have it would have been an amazing opportunity. But because I was then suffering from anxiety because I was trying to come off antidepressants, I didn't go. I didn't go for the job. And this is how it can affect you, you know, mental health in the workplace. I just yeah. was so anxious. I had lost confidence in who I was. Mm -hmm. And this was the period when I was trying to come off antidepressants and I was suffering all sorts of physical symptoms because I was trying to come off them. Mm. And so in the end, because again, nobody really, the GPs didn't really know about uh, withdrawal from antidepressants. I wasn't getting any support. And with fluoxetine, so Prozac, it's, it's one of, it's one of the antidepressants that has, I think, the longest half-life of any antidepressant, which mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether you know, do you know about half-lives and antidepressants? I know about it, antidepressants. <laughs> So the, the half-life is how long it stays in your system for yeah. after you've stopped taking it. So I think fluoxetine is a bit of a scary one for a lot of people trying to come off it because without the right support, you might just stop and you might feel that you're fine for two weeks, if not three weeks, but then it hits you <laughs> because it's, yeah, it's just one of those... Um, I don't know. It's just one of those things with some antidepressants. And I didn't know. And I didn't really have the support. So, of course, anxious, didn't go for that job. Then ended up getting another job as a PA um, for a very high-flying PR guy whose partner was a famous fashion designer. You can tell uh, me later and if you want. I will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was in the book that I ended up writing, but obviously names were changed. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah i thought this is it i this is brilliant i'm going to be so excited because not only would i be working for him on sort of the pr side but i would be working on the fashion side and supporting uh, his partner so i left one job went to that job and this was in the city so then i was in the middle of the city you know i think we were on like the 32nd floor of this amazing building and you know we had access to a, a gym and a spa and free this and free that and i got a clothing allowance uh for said fashion designers clothes um which to be honest didn't really buy you much <laughs> i got about two grand per season yeah Daring. um no i i i don't know i just thought it was going to be an amazing amazing opportunity and it it was the start of my spiral into hell and what eventually made me write a book basically I, I, I could tell you what happened but you know it won't be in a nutshell <laughs> no i like it i'm 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 enjoying your story telling another um talent of yours oh. another natural talent see other people would just say no you just gas on vic verbal diarrhea <laughs> that's, that's just my husband though so you say that was your start of of your years of hell yeah bad but well horrible bosses really he was a horrible boss he was horrible 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 he was on the outside smooth charming uh permatand attractive you know schmoozed people you know handshakes da, 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 but then treated some of his staff just so dreadfully and for me having been promised that i would do this that and the other and be his right hand person and work for his partner and da 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 I ended up doing nothing, which sounds just crazy. And, you know, how can you actually do nothing? But I would, he would be sat in the office pretty much all the time, apart from when he had, you know, client meetings externally. But a lot of the time he was in the office to my left. And it, what separated us was, I don't know, 10 feet of carpet. And I was almost in some gilded cage. It was like he wanted to say he had a PA because he'd never had a PA before me. You see, he'd shared one. Okay. And I think he just, he just wanted his own PA, but it was literally, he just wanted a beck and call person. So if he, if he thought of something he wanted you to do, he'd ask you to do it. But I'm talking like menial things like go and get my sushi for lunch or, oh, I haven't paid that. Could you just pay that? And I never, he wouldn't share anything with me. So, you know, most PAs are meant to know where their boss is so that they can organize their diaries. Da, da, da. He never told me where he was going. You know, I couldn't tell anyone where he was at any given time of the day if he wasn't sat at his desk. I, I don't know. He doesn't share anything with me. But then he also tried to control me. Oh. So eventually I wasn't allowed. And you can, you know, you know me, Richard. I'm gregarious. I love a giggle. I love a chat. Absolutely. I was not allowed to socialise with uh, friends that I'd made in the office. I just wasn't. I ended up, a friend of mine used to come up and say hi to me and I'd shoo her away. I was that petrified because he was off his rocker and he would get really angry. Uh, I also was meant to work for his business partner in the agency that he owned. And when he used to ask me to do things, I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can do that. And then the other guy would call me over and sort of whisper at me so that I'd have to get really close to him. And he said, what are you doing that for? I don't want you doing, I'm not allowed to swear, am I, Richard? Am I? Can swear. He used to say, I don't want you doing shit tasks like that for him. What if I need you? 
I don't want you booking him an osteopath or whatever it was that he'd asked me to do. Wow. And I was like, but I work for him too. What yeah. I need my sushi. Yeah. And he said, I don't want to have to find myself another PA in six months' time because you're doing fucking shit tasks for him. And he was so sinister and horrible. And then he started talking to me about the Stockholm Syndrome. And I was like, what? He said, you know about the Stockholm Syndrome, don't you? Yeah. You like it, do you? You like, is that what you want? Do you want it? And he was just wow. mental, mental and horrible. And I was so fearful of him. But mentally I also needed abusive. the job. Oh, yeah. Absolutely mentally abusive. And he played games with me, mind games. Uh, he would lie about something. Then uh, he would sort of admit it but in front of somebody else. So it made me look like I'd done something wrong. Um, he, what did he do? Oh, probation period. <laughs> I'd been there about three months and you're meant to come to your end of probation at three months. And I remember him saying, oh, it was a Friday and I was due to uh, pass probation on the Monday following. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I better sort of just mention it. And I said, oh, just, just about probation. Do I just, do I get a letter just to say that I've, you know, passed? Because you would presume he would have mentioned it beforehand if there was a problem. Yeah. And he said, oh yeah, I've been thinking about that. Yeah. I think I'm just going to, I'm going to extend your probation. Yeah. Just, I'm going to extend it. Yeah, mind games. And I was like, Completely. oh, uh, uh, okay. Um, and I was, I went out to lunch with my, my friends from the office. That was the only time I could see them. And I was in tears and I said, I don't know what he's doing. Why is this happening? And I ended up being brave and I went back to the office and I said, about the probation could i yeah, yeah yeah we've decided we're going to extend it yeah that's the end of it and i said oh but you know could we discuss it no don't have time but and i tried to talk to him and he screamed at me and said can you see what i'm reading can you see what i'm reading on my screen and he was reading something about the bribery act or whatever it was and i said well can i at least have 10 minutes later and it's very hard to especially so long later it's so hard to describe how horrible he was to me at that moment in time in an open plan office but i ended up crying you know I, I was in tears and then he mocked me for crying and said yeah that's great you crying how the hell is that you helping me how are you helping me by crying it, it was just awful 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 and i sat back at my desk not knowing what to do where to go <laughs> sobbing and uh, he eventually sort of said right me and you in that office 10 minutes so i took in my little list of all the things that i'd been doing you know because i wanted to say look i've not done much for you because you don't give me anything but everything you've asked me to do i've done very well so i don't understand why you're not passing my probation and i i don't know what i can't even tell you what he said to me i described the whole meeting uh in the book as i came out of there feeling like you know those adverts for tango in the past mm-hmm where a little orange person would yeah, appear yeah. and slap someone around the face. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, you know when you've been tangoed. Mm. I, I just, I didn't know what he'd said to me. The only words I remember him saying, because he was so good at his job at PR, he just came at me with utter rubbish. Didn't let me talk, but I do remember him saying, I see you at 5.30pm going for drinks with those girls. That's not going to happen again. And I was due to finish at 5.30 every day. Like, it's my life after 5.30. Yeah. But he was trying to control everything I did. Uh, yeah, it was a hideous period in my life. And I don't know. Like I said, you can't really, I can't really explain it properly. You, you explain it really well. I'm, 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 I'm riveted and I'm, and 
um i can imagine how you must have felt i'm actually hearing kind of um devil wears prada but on acid yeah that's what it's kind of feeling like it's hard to sort of put it across when you're out of that world years later and you're in a better place but if i tell you that working for him in that environment being subdued and but also being given nothing to do i was driven insane so every single night i would either sob silently on the train or i would hold it in and i would get to my flat door like my front door of my flat and as soon as i got in i would just collapse and burst out crying and then i started drinking because it was the only thing that helped me escape because i was just trapped i was trapped in my head and i know it's easy for people to sort of you know keyboard worries to say oh well why don't you just leave why would you stay in a job you know da, 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 if it's not that good but it's not that simple yeah. when you're reliant on your job to pay your mortgage or your rent or whatever and especially you don't want to leave a job so soon you know you my previous jobs i've been in for four years one stint four years another stint uh you don't want your cv to look flaky you know you want to be employable um and all of these pressures on your head you just think well i can't do this and i can't do that and i can't do this and i can't leave so i think the only thing i could do eventually was start looking for another job i couldn't just walk out but that's you know especially with a guy like that you know trying to escape to go for lunchtime interviews or you know sneaking out after work for an interview oh nightmare but I did eventually, thank goodness, get another job. Uh, but, well, thank goodness, but no, because yeah. then it was jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Mm. And I ended up working for an absolutely evil, <laughs> evil, evil weirdo, <laughs> basically. So, yeah, that was that was boss number two I then ended up working for. And I ended up traipsing all the way out to, I think, well, uh, Chelsea for a job every day but it paid well and i think foolishly i just thought well if i'm going to get treated like this i want more money for it yeah and that was the mistake that i made because the reality is that i'm just not built i'm not built to take that kind of abuse and i don't think anyone should be in a job i don't think i don't care how much you pay your personal assistant you shouldn't be entitled to treat them you know really badly just because you paid them more money but uh yeah i got told that a lot when i was going to recruiters around that time they were like they described it as danger money actually wow. so yeah if you start earning above i mean i don't know what it's like now i don't think that the salaries have changed that much for pas but they were saying once you start earning sort of 50 60 70 000 pounds as a pa the boss expects their pound of flesh and whether that is that you will be the sounding board for their frustration you know not the sounding board sorry the punch bag i would say not even a sounding board mm. but they're either going to scream and shout at you or they're going to keep you working 24 7. you're on call you know you basically don't have a life and i get it if some people are happy doing the 24 7 thing that's fine um but i don't think it's fine to expect your pa to take your abuse because no. you're a powerful man and you you're frustrated Ugh. no matter what you're paying them mm -hmm. so i yeah it was i was stuck to be honest i didn't know what to do again I, I sort of i was suddenly qualified to be a pa but then 
you know, what do you do when you want to earn more money? Yeah. But the only people that are paying that kind of money are just freaks and bullies and oddballs, Jekyll and Hyde characters. And that was the second boss. He was a, an absolute Jekyll and Hyde. He was older. He was in his 70s. Mm. And I thought, oh, he'll be a pussycat. He looks really harm harmless. <laughs> and he was just crazy. Yeah, he was, um, yeah. Again, very long story. I won't bore you with... Uh, exactly what he was like but suffice to say again i realized far too sort of uh far too late for me to change my mind that he was uh yeah gonna be a nightmare he he had had a pa before me and she had been with him for four years and i think you're lulled into a sort of false sense of security and you think well he can't be that bad if someone stayed with him for four years yeah. but she did a handover with me and the handover Normally you'd be like a week, two weeks. It was a whole month for her to teach me exactly how he liked things. Wow. And she had, I can't, her office. So I got my own office and I was like, this is exciting. I've got my own personal office. And her office was just full of filing. Uh, she was chaotic, utterly chaotic, really lovely woman, but skittish. And, uh, and I think he'd made her that way. Yeah. So I think she was paid well. And she stayed for the money, but I think he had sent her over the edge and she had drawers full of like, you know, notepad, like reporters notepads. Yeah. And in it, I said, well, why have you kept them? What's in it? She went, well, it's everything he's ever asked me to do. I've written down because he might pull me up on this a year later and accuse me of not having done it. So I want to be able to prove that I've done it. And I was thinking my alarm bells were going and I thought, who the hell am I going to be working for? Oh exactly. my God. And he did turn out to be like that. He was just sinister, sinister. These men I think are on he... major power trips. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because there was no reason. I can well, I can't understand it because there are ways of talking to people. But if you've got someone working for you and they've done a, uh, they made a mistake or they've done something wrong, fair enough. Tell them off. Mm. But the guys that were being abusive towards me or bullying, like this second boss, were. It was for no reason whatsoever. I was good at my job. I was efficient. I did everything that needed to be done. And he used to sort of swap from coming into the office to say, I can't believe what an amazing job you're doing. I never thought I could improve on my last PA, but you're fantastic. Hmm. And then the next minute, he would be on the phone. So he was rich, rich, and he had houses in all different places around the world, actually. But he had a country house and a place in London and a place in Scotland. So when he was in his country house, he would phone me and just be vile for no apparent reason. He would think of anything he could and accuse me of not having done it, even though I'd done it. And the yeah. From the last PA. yeah, yeah, it's so strange. And I just, I was in tears again, most lunch times. I was lonely. I used to go out to the local sort of park to eat a sandwich. I had no zest for life. I, it, this was around the time of the Olympics in London. Yeah. And there was Olympic fever and it was fantastic. And I got some tickets to go and see some things with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband. And I was just unhappy all the time. Because even when it came to the weekend, all I could think about was, I have to go to work again. I have to see that man again. And you never knew where you stood. I was always on eggshells. So this would have been about the time that we met then. 
yeah 2012 yeah and of course i was no doing idea. all of my yeah well that's the thing you don't really want to moan to people either you don't really want to say, you know people would be like oh how's your job going and i'll be like yeah yeah all right i was gonna but say then i've made a career out of it but then i can't i i to any of my <laughs> clients i'm not saying that you're moaning at me oh Disclaimer. well yeah <laughs> but it was you just don't want to you're bored of it happening to yourself and I just couldn't believe. I just thought, well, is any boss nice? Is there anybody nice out there? But also when you I... have a lot of people that are suffering abuse, if they go from one relationship to the next and it's abusive and then the mm -hmm. next and it's abusive, they tend to um, turn it on themselves and look at themselves and wonder, what am I doing wrong? Am, oh, I, am I doing this? Did you go through yeah. any of that? Do you know what? I didn't. I I always knew who I was. I but what I what I didn't appreciate and again this is why you end up you stop talking about it eventually is because you almost get the sense that people just don't believe you they think nah you're you've got to be there's always a bad penny in the scenario and it's got to be you Vicky you must be a nightmare that's why you're going from job to job I used to get the sense that you know and my mum and my boyfriend were the only people who truly knew what was going on, and me, obviously. Um, but you just... I mean, whether other people were thinking this, I don't know. But you know what human nature's like. You do think, no, no smoke without fire. You couldn't possibly have gone from one bad boss to another bad boss. Oh, and then another bad boss. You know, that's just unheard of. But it's not unheard of. And I think... After I had got the third boss, uh, I ended up, so I left evil Jekyll and Hyde, odd bod, older guy, and I got another job thinking I was finally saved, and again, you just, you just couldn't make it up, but he turned out to be a different kind of bully. He was a mood swingy would speak to me one day totally ignore me the next and then was very passive aggressive in meetings and would give me work to do that i had no experience of yeah but then wouldn't train me on it but then would pull me up on it in meetings in front of senior members of staff just so he could swear at me and just because i sour, so. yeah he, just weird 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 and the first two bad bosses so pr guy then older guy all of those experiences, I'd never had a break in between these bad bosses. I had always been chasing my tail thinking, well, I have to have a new job. I can't possibly have time out to get my health back together because, of course, I couldn't afford it. I always had to have a job. So I never, ever recovered. So I think slowly I'd been battered down mentally. And so when I got to this third boss, I walked out after four weeks. And that was my original sort of story when I said I just picked up my bag and said bye to the people in the office, left, knowing that I would never go back again. Yeah. And it was that night that I ended up going back to my flat. And I, I can remember just lying on the floor in tears. And I said, I don't care that I've walked out. I don't care that I don't have another job to go to. Because quite frankly, I just don't want to be here if mm -hmm. this is what life's like. I, I couldn't imagine what I was going to do. But at that moment in time, I didn't care. I had got to rock bottom. Um, so, yeah. You had some heavy weights on your shoulders. <sighs> yeah. Uh, and, and back yeah. then, we would have been, um, I should say we were in a band together. So yeah. We were, we were quite close. And yeah. And 
we were pouring emotion into songs and stuff like that and yet I had yeah. no idea yeah and do you know what because I just I'm the type of person that I just I deal with it myself I don't need to, and do you know what I really appreciated what I was doing external to that. I really appreciated the fact that I had an outlet. And it's not like we did loads. We weren't gigging all the time, were we? No, so we had such a laugh when we did that. Oh, because I love laughing. I yeah, love, this too. is who I am. I'm a great, gregarious, fun. I love life. I love laughing, which is why it was so weird for me to be going through what I was going through. Hmm. Because I, it just made me, I don't understand why people have to be that way. And I'm really soft. I'm really emotional as well. You know, I'm sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time you almost tell yourself, well, you can't be sensitive. But why? Since when was being sensitive a bad thing? Mm -hmm. You know, surely I can still do a job and do it well as a PA, but not have to put up with being bullied or abused. Um, but yeah, we had an amazing time. And I love, I mean, that was just fun to me. Blooming fun, fun, fun. You know, we used to just giggle and sing, and I used to forget the lyrics. <laughs> As did I. I used to have a pad on the floor with the first line of every. <laughs> every verse I used to forget you, but you were so professional, though. I used to think, God, Richard's on it. He's got it. He knows what he's doing. And I always used to think, if I forget it, at least I'll look at Richard and it'll fill in for me. <laughs> And you did. <laughs> in my last gig with my current band, I forgot the whole verse. <laughs> songs and just stood laughing. <laughs> I love that you just stood laughing. See, I was too embarrassed, though. It scared me to death doing live thing. I mean, this is the weird thing about me. I, You're brilliant at just standing there and singing and really giving it all and your know, performances, whereas Thank I you. was petrified because I don't like looking people in the eye from a but stage. See, that's so funny because I'm the same. Oh, you wouldn't think it. So you're looking at me and I'm looking at you thinking the, the, the exact opposite. Oh, wow. No, I hate it. I felt sick as a dog before doing any performance because I hated it. Whereas acting, get me on a stage where I'm in that bubble on the stage and I don't have to look at the audience. I love it. I love it. Don't care. <laughs> exactly I'm not the nervous same at all. Reason as well. I hate having to make eye contact and stuff like that. If I'm on a stage with lights, it's better because I can't yeah. see. You're blinded, aren't you? Yeah. Could be singing so to anybody. Thousands. <laughs> so, it's, so it's almost. I mean, um, the other week I was, I said earlier before we press record i was interviewing ian dale on a stage and it yeah. was fine because the lights were on me but then halfway through we brought up the house lights so we could take questions from the audience Whoa. and that's when it was like oh okay there's people sat there there's, yeah there's people watching us yeah. <laughs> and it's that this moment that when good. you can see them and you can look into their eyes and uh, you know you, you can see what's going on in in the real world that you think oh jesus and that is when i used to look at you and think okay i'm with vicky it's fine how is that a, honestly i was thinking exactly the same and i was thinking richard's so professional i'm just a wreck i don't know what to do i was thinking the same about you how weird <laughs> is that there you go but that's the thing i could never have been a solo artist my god if i'd been with a girl band i i would have been great would have loved it yeah if solo artists hats off to them because i think that is flipping scary hmm. flipping scary well my next band after our band was similar setup me and a female um and then my band now is just me up front but wow with the three guys behind me they are amazing musicians Aww. and i i look to them for the same thing now i you know if i'm feeling a bit yeah. nervous i look across to bernie or i look the other way to david on the bass who's never doing anything because he's a bass player so i can just like <laughs> catch catch his eyesight <laughs> sorry bass players i'm only joking 
<laughs> oh, well, there you go. We've learned something new today, Richard, that we were both really, really scared. <laughs> we, were, we, were <laughs> we both thought each other was really, we were really, really positive and full of uh, full of uh, energy and happiness. And actually, I was scared to death. But I still did walk away thinking, oh, that was a really good night. That was really fun. Once it's over, you know, it's like getting off a roller coaster. Once it's over, oh, you can go on that again. Go on then. There is night. nothing like that feeling, is there? You're just exhilarated. It's the adrenaline. You come off and it's 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 a strange thing, isn't it, performing? Anyone who performs, it's a strange, strange feeling because you wonder why you do it to yourself because you're so full of nervous energy and excitement but nerves mm. to the point where you know famously some people are sick still before they go on stage i think didn't judy dench say that she still vomits before she goes on stage i'm like I why would Robbie you pick yourself really bad with stage fright as well. and so and i can remember i do get that sort of nervous feeling if i've ever been on stage and i'm about to go on and I'm like, oh my god what am i doing this to myself for but then you love it at the same time yeah, and I tell you what was really weird, and I actually texted my mum when I was doing that interview with, with Ian Dale, mm. um, that was a last minute thing, so I didn't have time to prepare properly or anything like that. Mm. I said, I texted my mum and I said, mum, there's something weird. She said, what? And I said, I'm not shaking and I don't feel nervous mm. and I feel mm. like I should be. And it was really weird because for the first time, I knew I was going on out onto a stage in front of, I don't know, 200 people um, and stepping out of my comfort zone. But I didn't feel like I was. And I thought there's something wrong here. So I don't know what it was, but it was very weird. And then I realised that I kind of like that nervous energy because it makes me yeah. feel like I feel like that's how I should be feeling. I think it also gives you an element of sharpness, doesn't it, as well, mm. though? Suddenly you can be sort of nervous to the point where you think you can't even think about the most basic of facts about yourself, like the words have gone in your head and you think, oh my God, oh my God, it's all going to go wrong. And then as soon as it's like right action or whatever it may be, suddenly that adrenaline forces you to be sharp and it suddenly just comes to you. I just, so I I just think, had yeah. a memory. I just had a memory oh. of what we used to do before gigs. I won't even say it on here. Oh but, God, um... what did we used to do? <laughs> I'm going to tell you what What did we used to do? It was something that you used to, you used to help me with the... Um... <laughs> What? what? I've no idea what you're talking about now. We were, we were did nerves. I? I won't say it on My God, what did I do for you, Richard? <laughs> it did the job. Whoa! <laughs> Let's just say what that. did I anyway, give you? So... Booze? What did you I don't do? want to know. What did I used to do? A massage? Oh, I wish. I love a massage. What did I used to bloody do? I can't say it on here. I'll tell you later. Give you an electric it's... shock with a cattle prod? That was it, Aunt Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> Do you watch Handmaid's Tale? No. Oh, okay, so that... Totally gone yeah, flat totally for me. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. You've got to watch it. You've got to watch oh, it. Oh, you've changed the subject now, Richard. I still well, don't I'm, know why you to do. I'm going to tell you as soon as we've finished. What the hell? But I don't think I can say it on here. I, I am lost. Genuinely that's, lost that's as to what it that's was. That's how bad it is. I can't say it on here. Oh, I'll say God. anything else on here, but I can't say that. The only thing I can ever think that I used to do, but I couldn't help it, was, oh, well, I know I won't say that either. It makes me seem very, un <laughs> makes me seem very unladylike if I say it. <laughs> I, I used to got what you what you were going to say now. I've just understood that. <laughs> but I thought you were going to say something else well, I, so oh anyway my. back to the yes, horrible uh, um, yeah. you finished yes. the th you, you were with the third one you walked out the third one what was your next process in writing this book what where, where was where did you go from there so i needed time out for my head 
for my mental bloody health because I was just in a mess. Uh, so I think I just phoned and said I wasn't well I couldn't come in I needed to buy myself some time I actually did go and see a GP and I explained everything and they were so sympathetic and they oh, said right we're signing you off so thankfully I was signed off um and you know strangely enough when I told them I was signed off because of anxiety and I explained why uh the guy the boss the third boss had got wind of it and was trying to phone me leaving messages saying but saying i'm so sorry i'm so sorry please come back oh 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 real panic real oh. panic like oh dear oh dear oh dear oh dear and i was like no no don't want to talk to you please stop calling me um anyway i took a few days and i actually just ended up pottering in central london just going on my own just being out <laughs> in the big wide world and, and just contemplating what i was going to do next and it was when I was chatting to an old colleague of mine who had been at the PR firm, you know, the first yeah. bad boss. And I was explaining sort of what was going on to her. And she said, look, why don't you just temp? And I said, oh, God, I can't go back to temping. I've not done that in years. And she said, but surely if you temp, you can walk away if the boss isn't what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of temping. And I thought, you know what? Maybe. And it took a while for me to sort of come around to the idea because I was so used to having that safety net of a permanent job. And of course, with temping, you think, well, I might only get an assignment for two weeks, then I might not have work for two weeks. So there's a bit of a risk, you know, especially if you've committed, as I had by then, to a mortgage and X, Y and Z. Mm -hmm. But I thought, sod it, I'm doing it. And who knows whether it was meant to be or fate or whatever it is, but the first temping assignment that came in was working for a man who, up until the point I walked into the office, mm -hmm. had gone through a su succession of PAs, not because he was a horrible boss, but because they'd just been sending him the wrong type of PA. Mm. And they just hadn't worked out. So he was a little bit sort of... Uh, suspicious you know not suspicious what's the word he was um what's the word richard i can't think when you're not sort of um oh, i can't think my brain's gone mad anyway you he just wasn't putting all of his eggs in one basket he was holding back he was sort of looking at me from afar and wondering yeah. and i was sort of you know holding back as well because i'd had you know i've been burnt i didn't want mm -hmm. a git of a boss i just wanted a nice person to work for and it just so happened that it worked out and i think after about three weeks he sort of said to me yeah i like you i think you're good and i went yeah i like you too i think you're good <laughs> and uh he was just fantastic he was the most amazing man i'd ever worked for and he had respect he was friendly he was funny he needed me he actually used me. He trusted me. He gave me work to do. And I thrived. So and I loved... Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Because if you look back at all the other times I've been a PA, it's almost as if they just they didn't need a PA. They just wanted someone to just abuse. Yeah. Something to sort of like say to their friends, oh, I'll get my PA to do it. Yeah. And it was like, I'm sorry, but I am not just some dumbo who sits there flicking through magazines and Facebook and is happy to get paid and just file my nails. 
that's an awful stereotype I've just done there. But you just described me. But, well, exactly, Richard. <laughs> um, but I actually wanted to work. I need to be active so that I feel part of life and the fabric of society. Mm. I want to be active. And he gave me work to do. And the more he gave me, the better I became. And the better I became, the more impressed he became. And it all just worked out. And it was fantastic. And it was then, whilst I was relaxing, in those quieter moments when I would go home or I'd be sitting on the train, that I thought, you know what? This is what it feels like. This is what I hope for most people, this is what working is like. You do your job, you get paid, you walk away from your job and you have your own life and you don't let work infiltrate your free time to the extent where it's making you anxious about it. Mm. And that's all it was ever doing to me in the other jobs. I, I didn't have my own life when I left the office. I was ill, essentially, you know, having to drink, drink my pain away you know from bullying bosses and suddenly i had this really great guy and my life felt settled and nice and normal so that's how i started writing and as i said it just it, i think i started writing and i think i'd done however many words you need seventy thousand words yeah. i've done it uh in about a month oh wow okay. if not less than wow. like the rough the rough rough first draft of a book anyway mm -hmm. and um I remember thinking, well, maybe people do want to read this. And I sent out the first sort of uh, manuscript to loads of publishers. And of course, a lot of them don't want, you know, unsolicited stuff. You know, you have to come through an agent or whatever. And I sent it out and I got no's across the board. Polite no's, you know, just, yes, thanks very much. Interesting, but we don't think it's interesting enough as a story. And then... I, I mean, I, I was slightly disheartened, but I wasn't that bothered because, you know, my life was okay at this time and I was quite happy. And it was my, my boyfriend that actually turned around and said, why don't you just self-publish? I've been thinking about this. Don't let that go to waste. You know, someone might read it. And I was a bit sort of, oh, it's a bit naff. I don't want to self-publish for, oh, no, that's for losers. And uh, he said, no, it's not. Self-published. Loads of people self-published. So thankfully, he encouraged me and I actually self-published. And it was only recently I realised I actually published it on the 4th of July, which was quite Ooh. apt, really. Yeah. Um, and um, so I published through a company called Lulu, which is an American sort of publishing online thing. Mm. Anyway, someone got wind of it, who I used to work with, who then passed it on to somebody else. And then this particular ex-colleague got in touch and said, ooh, uh, my boss wants to send it to one of her journalist friends. They think it would be a really good, you know, sort of secret squirrel, you know, woman about town, secret diary. Because I think, didn't there's a, there's a chap called Geraint Anderson? Is that his name? He did City Boy. He sort of he did sort of a thing in one of the free london papers over a while um it was, uh, about the... it was like a weekly thing and he used to do sort of like a secret column about what was really going on with all these city boys so this uh colleague said oh you should do this and i was petrified and i went no 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 because i was still scared of a couple of these bosses i really was scared Oh, yeah, I, I thought, oh, God, no, if it, although I've changed the names, if it gets out and they know it's me, 
I, I didn't know what they could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was adamant, no, but it did appear. So a small piece appeared in the Sunday Times business uh, thing, and it said, oh, quietly, uh, an ebook has been released. Do you know who these guys are? And the focus from them was on the two PR guys, because, of course, they were known to the journalists. Mm. And so the next thing was I got a phone call to say the Times would like to do a piece on you in the business section, but you know, a bigger piece. And I was a bit sort of, you know, hesitant and I was like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, I think we started talking about it at the beginning of a particular day. And by the end of the day, they said it's actually going to be page three of the regular paper, the Times. And I was, I was excited and nervous in equal amounts. Yeah. I just did not know how this was going to pan out. And I didn't want it to ruin the job that I had. Anyway, I appeared next day, full page, page three of the Times. There I was, all about me slating all of these bosses. Um, And I actually phoned my then boss, who I loved, and I said, I am really sorry, but I'm on page three of the Times today. And I told him why, and he burst out laughing, and he went, I think you're brilliant. Yes. And I loved him. I loved him. And I'm sure it was a major shock for him. And I'm sure he didn't want it to be happening. But he was so lovely because he also championed the fact that I was different, that I was quirky, that I was, you know, willing to put something out there. And I said, I can assure you, the only mention of you or this current company is to say how brilliant you are and how much fun I'm having. And that was the truth. So there you go. So, uh, and off the back of that, oh God, it went crazy. I had a double page spread in the sun. I was in the evening standard. I was in French Grazia magazine. I appeared on television. Uh, Woman's Hour wanted to interview me. And then I think the, I was in the Daily Mail and then the Daily Mail phoned and wanted me to serialize it. And I had no guidance. I had no one no one looking out for me i had a pr company that i'd used years before for a venture that i'd tried to sort of set up and i said to them because the sunday times said we want to do an exclusive but you can't do anything in any other paper or you know radio or whatever Mm -hmm. and i spoke to the pr company and i said well who should i what should i do i'm being offered all these amazing things and they went well no brainer sunday times exclusive it's huge you should do that and I, I feel to this day it was a bit of a trap. And I'm wondering whether the guy who was the horrible boss, who was the PR guy, actually set this up. Mm. Because I did say no to everybody else. All the nice things like Woman's Hour. It would have been amazing. You know, Woman's Hour, female magazine, you know, uh, for uh, the Daily Mail. I said no to all of that because I went for an exclusive on the advice of someone else. And I was thrown under the bus. Um it was one of the most horrible pieces ever by a male journalist oh, God. and it was exclusive and on the face of it you might think oh look you know here i am in the paper with all this press but i was in tears it was horrible i felt scared again so it's almost as if you know i've gone through all this bullying at the hands of male bosses mm. and as soon as i write about it and stand up for myself it was all male journalists who tried to slate me for having done it 
so I had it all gay. And the weird thing is, if I had done that during more modern times, you know, hashtag me too, yeah. I would have been much better, I'm sure. But it was, yeah, horrible, horrible, horrible. So it's sort of bittersweet that I wrote a book and it did really well, but actually I got slated for even writing it. Yeah, but uh, well so done, yeah. Thanks. Well Thanks. Do you know what I'm really proud of, though? Stand for other women. And like well, you said earlier I, on, if it helps one person. Oh, yeah. I just, it's just to say, look, I've been there. Loads of people have been there. And not everyone is like that. Not every boss is like that. But I know lots of them are still like that out there. I think, I hope the world's gotten a little bit better. Mm. I hope it has. <laughs> and that people are more sort of, you know, accountable for the way they are and the way they behave with their staff and well just relationships in general really well yeah i, I mean it instantly has just made me think of the bullying story with pretty patel that got overlooked and oh yes I wonder about things like that yeah um, you know right oh in yeah the yeah, yeah. Of, of the world basically and <laughs> right in, in the glare of everyone you know bullying's fine yeah. almost yeah uh, sadly across the board not just pretty patel you know across the board yeah sadly sure people will always get away with it if they are if they are Obviously. if they are high enough if they are powerful enough if they can pay someone off mm. they will always try and get away with it yeah so, uh, what's yes. next for the book uh so i actually wrote the screenplay <laughs> for a movie um that is so exciting well i left it for quite a while. I mean, the book came out, so my version came out as an ebook 2013. I think the actual book was published. Oh no, the book was published as a new name. So the PA's yeah. story came out in 2015. Yeah. Um, and so not that long ago, is it sort of five, six years? Um, yeah. But about a year ago, I completed the first draft of the screenplay. I actually had a producer um i had an option agreement but for a very short amount of time and it actually ran out and then somebody else wanted to work on it so i currently do have a producer um who wants to get it made but we need money <laughs> so we're at that stage get back to she's wigan. just Ask the council. oh my god wigan council if you're listening wigan council come on <laughs> do your job Here's your chance to get involved in a movie. Um, um, so, yeah, basically, we're looking for funding, uh, development funding, because uh, I've got a producer and I've got the screenplay. And there you go. And it's just gone. The Galway Film Festival has just been happening over the last week. And uh, so my producer was attending that and hopefully having a couple of meetings with people about getting some money together. So there you go. I'm just That's waiting. So it is, but I didn't realise how slow the movie and film industry uh, and TV industry works. But then we have just had a pandemic. <laughs> Go on, what are you going to say? I was just going to say that how, how like a good storyteller you are. And you kept saying, oh, I don't want to bore you with this and I don't want to bore you with that. And I'm absolutely riveted. <laughs> oh, I love you. Thanks, Richard. You're my friend. <laughs> you know, you're a, 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 I hate saying you're an old friend because it sounds wrong. You're a friend that I've known for a long time. I know. And I'm so excited for you. That's oh. Amazing. I mean. Well, if it happens, let's just hope it does. It was mm. amazing. Sorry, what were you going to say? I know. 
No, I'm just saying, if it happens, let's just hope it does. But yeah, I think loads of people get things off the ground, but it's always to do with the development and the money, isn't it? You know, finding the cash. Yeah, and and through all of that, there's this there's this undercurrent struggle, well, almost an overcurrent struggle with your mental health that it had to be kind of pushed back just so you could cope. Yeah, yeah, you're you absolutely right. Quite strong female people almost laugh at oh you don't want to go on antidepressants yeah, early on yeah. you're gp and the first boss actually yeah you're right i never thought about it but it was two females that said that mm. yeah so maybe Her maybe you know somebody that you're looking up to somebody that you're looking to and thinking you know powerful women oh hang on oh i shouldn't be going on those i shouldn't yeah be doing that. yeah it it, it it beggars belief really um mm. but is that looking at it with 2021 20, eyes i don't know um oh i don't know possibly i don't know I just, I just love the fact that we are able to talk about this, and I am. I tell you what, if this had been a decade ago, I would no more have openly, you know, spoken to people about antidepressants and me being on them. But now I'm like, do you know what? You need to talk about it mm. because there isn't anything shameful about any of this. But I think that when you're in it when you're genuinely suffering from either anxiety or depression and especially anxiety that's a bugger it really really makes you feel that you are the only person suffering and you feel embarrassed mm -hmm. because you think everyone else is getting on and they're normal and i'm a freak i am a freak. Yeah. and society doesn't help with that no um, i'm a mental health counselor and i was on antidepressants three months ago mm -hmm. so till quite recently um, yeah it was only a short course and it was yeah. for, um like i said before my mum's been quite ill so it yeah. was, i needed that that hit because i was going to a dark place and i knew yeah. i was going to that dark place but it it just goes to show that well i suppose more people need to speak up and say you know me too <laughs> you know yeah I, I've, I've been on them i've 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 been in a place where i needed them and i reached out for help because i knew that, I suppose with the circles that I'm in, I knew that it was available and I knew that I yeah. could, but there's plenty of people that don't know that or they're being guided by the wrong people like your old boss, like, like yeah. the, the GP. And I suppose with therapists as well, if you've got a GP that's not working for you, go and find another one. There's, yeah. there, is, there is a choice. And oh, same absolutely. with therapists. There's so many yeah, people absolutely. that go to counselling and they say, oh no, it didn't work for me. Try a new counsellor. You'll find yeah. someone that just fits and no counsellor worth their salt will feel offended if you say, no, this isn't working. They will be yeah. bloody happy that you are getting yeah. the right therapy for you. Yeah, exactly that. If they are professional, they absolutely will. And I think what I was going to say also, I, I think a lot of the time it's important for people like you and I to say, hang on a minute. Yeah, me too. I'm on antidepressants because... A lot of the time when people would learn this about me, and I'm pretty sure it's the same for you, because you, in my opinion, are very outgoing, very bubbly, giggly, whatever, a lot of people who aren't necessarily like that will look at people like you and I and think, what? You suffered from mental health issues? But I always thought you were so happy and so this and so mm -hmm. that. Because it just goes to show we're good at putting a face on. Well, look at the big comedians. The biggest comedians oh, I know. are always the ones that once they've gone or well look at robin, robin yeah. williams i know and but he, even more recently and this is what made me think about it even more so recently caroline flack hmm. when i i watched the documentary about her and i was in absolute tears at the end of it by what her mum had said hmm. that i think she said that 
Caroline was so, so ashamed or embarrassed. She was so aware that how she was really on the inside, she was so petrified of that getting out to the wider world because she feared she would be ridiculed or she would lose her job, her career. How sad that she would far rather go down the route that she sadly took than actually feel that she was able to just be honest about who she was. Yeah. And it's that, it's because you, when you are genuinely suffering, you feel it's the last thing you can say to anyone or tell anyone. Exactly. And I think although we're getting better at saying we need to talk about mental health, I think sometimes that comes from people who don't really ever suffer from it. And I think a lot of companies potentially sometimes say we need to be aware of it, but then they don't really do much else after Mental Health Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to be doing something all the time because people do suffer and they suffer in silence. Yeah. I mean, Mental Health Awareness Week does a good job of bringing it to the forefront, but it does need to be there more. It does need to yeah. be there all the time. Yeah. And I think you're right. More people need to speak out that do give off the impression that they're happy, that they're jolly, that they're successful sometimes. Yeah. And, and you know, you get so many people, yeah, like you say, saying, oh, well, you know, what what have you got to be sad about? Or yeah. other cliches like that. Yeah. Yet, you know, we're out there in every walk of life. You know, mm -hmm. it's not the first time that I've suffered a, about a depression. Um, You know, a few months ago, I have had yeah. depression in the past. And yet I always had this outward persona i suppose mm. the, the, the yeah. caroline flack you know yeah but it's just yeah. sad that 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 we're living in a world where we can't put our head above the parapet and then th th this is one of the main reasons that i started this the the, the this podcast because yeah. i want to say to people if you can't admit to people that you're feeling this or feeling that then just at least talk to people even if it's just a chat and natter it mm -hmm. all helps and that was my ethos with this it's you know i'm talking to so many different people and we have so many different types of talk of chat mm -hmm. and different types of conversation but it all helps and it does because you just you just say you're getting what's inside on the out and you're just yeah. putting it out there and you what can a really great way of it putting it it's outside yeah Absolutely. And, and, and I think what you're doing is amazing. I think it's fantastic. I really think it's brilliant. Well, Keep I it think going. what you've done is amazing. You've put it in a book and you've said, fuck you guys. Bullies. I did as well. There's a lot of swearing in it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of swearing. Oh, oh. Perfect. Brilliant. This is Made it. me feel good anyway, getting it all off my bloody that chest. Is, this is, see, this is it. This is, Big this two is fingers to those tossers, I tell you. I tell you now, I'm sat here thinking what an inspiration this lady is. Oh, I love you. And no, it really, genuinely, this has been a revelation and a pleasure. And oh, you are thank such, you. And have been such a busy woman. Um, and all the time I've known you, you have been so full of life. I feel a little bit of guilt, to be honest, that I didn't know what you were going through. Yeah, um, but I was fine. I'm always fine. I'm lucky because I do. Ha I'm quite strong inside. Yeah. I will always look to get myself better. Yeah. And like you said earlier about you recognised something was happening, so you you made that decision to go on antidepressants. Mm. If in the past I have recognised patterns and I thought, oh, hang on a minute, I've gone and got myself help straight away mm. because I know. But the first time it happens to you, you have no idea what's happening. And that's when it's scary. If depression or anxiety suddenly starts creeping in, 
that's when you're right. If you're not feeling that you can talk to someone close to you, then at least know that there are people like you or people on the internet or, you know, forums or organisations that you can drop into anonymously at first if you're feeling shameful or embarrassed. There is nothing to be ashamed about, but at least let's get people going to these, you know, these organisations for help. Yeah, and it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. You're not kidding, of course it is. Massively. I'm super strong. Massively. Yeah, so well, are you. You just have to listen to your story to know that. Yeah. But, you know, to, to go and get the help has taken strength yeah. and courage. Absolutely, yeah. So thank I you. will thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me today. Thank you, um, it's been fun, I loved it's it. It's been absolutely lovely and we can't leave Thanks it that long it. again because I've really, no. really had a good laugh and I really want to know who this fashion designer is. So I'm uh, going huh. and, and I want proceeding. to know what the hell I used to do to you before a gig that relaxed you, Richard. My God. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will want to know that, but I, mean, <laughs> no, I can't. I can't be telling anyone. So I will bid you farewell for now. Thank you. And on the other side, I will hear about who this fashion designer is. Yes, you will. Again, thank you very much, Victoria. No Nelson. worries. What's the book called again? Uh, so the ebook uh, from Lulu, uh, I don't think you can get it anywhere else anymore, is uh, the PA, but the actual paperback book is the PA's story. You can still get it. You can get Check the PA's story from anywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's the ebook. It's the ebook. If you've got a Kindle, I think it's just Lulu. Okay. Perfect. Well, there you go. Victoria Knowles, it's been a pleasure. Please give my Yay. love to your boyfriend, who you didn't name. So, I Well, he's know. my husband now. Your husband, sorry. Yeah, you're now husband. Well, Aww. I knew him when he was your boyfriend. Indeed. Aww. <laughs> um, take care of yourself. And you too. Lots of love. speak soon. Bye. Well, we will speak in about 30 we seconds. Will. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye, lovely listener. Bye. <laughs>